See, I firmly believe that sound doctrine does not come from our personal experience, but it comes from the Bible. And as far as I know, none of us were alive when the Bible was written to throw our experience in there for the rest of history to read. So whether we like it or not, we must embrace what the Spirit did then as well as what the Spirit wants to do now without an agenda, but with expectation to where we pray the most ancient prayer of the church being come Holy Spirit. And then we sit back and not try to force him to come, but simply allow him to come, expecting him to come. Because as Jesus said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And when we expect him to come, we just allow him to come as he pleases. Welcome to the Resurgence Messages Podcast. We gather and minister regularly for the purpose of reaching people, reviving churches, and releasing leaders. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you to arise for the kingdom of God. For more information on the ministry of Resurgence and how you can take part, check out liveresurgence.com. And uh, why I'm stoked to be here with y'all tonight is from what I've heard from Pastor Travis and Donovan, the word on the street is that y'all are hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. Is that true? Were they lying about you or is that true? Come on, somebody say it's true. Okay, there's, come on, say it's true. Oh, there we go, there we go. And if there's one thing that I'm passionate about talking about or needing more of in my life, my church and our world, it is the Holy Spirit. So with that, I want to read a text from the Apostle Paul, which is his opening introduction and greetings to the church in Thessalonica. And what I want us to do as we read is notice the things that the Apostle Paul highlights and honors in the Thessalonians and in their church. And the reason why I want us to notice them is because if we, being the church in Edmonton, the capital region, the church in Alberta, the church in Canada, if we could model ourselves after these things and be known for these things that are listed in regard to the Holy Spirit's ministry within the church of Thessalonians, man, if we could be like that, we would be in incredible shape for living in the current culture that we've been placed in. So let's take a look at the text tonight as I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word out of 1 Thessalonians verses 1 to 10. It says this, Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. And we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, and this was prayed in prayer tonight, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of suffering 
You welcome the message with the joy. Somebody say joy. Joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves are poor what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you, you turned God from idols to serve, uh, sorry, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom raised from the dead Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray one more time. God, we thank you so much for tonight and the things listed about this church in Thessalonica. And God, as we look to your word, would we learn how to model ourselves after that and have more love for the Holy Spirit and more welcome in our hearts for his presence in our lives. So God, we thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. All right, y'all can be seated. Okay, I got a question for all of you. Have you ever met someone that you wanted to be like? Have you ever met someone you wanted to be like? My man Chris right here, I want to be like my man Chris. Everybody say, hi, Chris. Say, you look good tonight, Chris. I heard less people saying that. Come on, help a brother out. You look good tonight, Chris. But have you ever met someone that you wanted to be like? Like when you take a look at their life and all you see in them is, you know, character qualities, virtues and values that you're like, Matt, I want to be like that. Have you ever had anyone like that? We all nodded yes. And if you're like that, I am as well. I've met uh, a few people that I'm like, man, I just want to emulate their lives. And I want to tell you about a specific person that I deeply respect. And his name is Brent Sellers. And he's a pastor at Rock Point Church, which is an Alliance Church in Calgary. And how I got to know him is when we were both youth pastors, we both had a deep desire and passion to see God use high school students to help their friends come to know Jesus, see our students equipped and to go and reach their schools with the love of Jesus. And in some sense, we were both already doing that in our own ways, empowering our students to go tell their friends about Jesus, seeing solid results from our youth. But I had heard about Brent and how he was running youth alphas in seven high schools in Calgary. And I said to myself, man, that is legit. I got to meet this guy. So I hit him up on his email and took him out for lunch. And after the lunch, if I ever had a man crush on anyone, it would be Pastor Brent Sellers. Why? Because this dude's a man of God. And you see over lunch, I, I just listened to him talk about his love for God and deep passion to reach people with God's love. And my heart is being moved. I'm getting inspired. I'm loving what I'm hearing. And that, that was about seven years ago. And over the past seven years, we, being James, myself, at a Pentecostal church, and Brent at an Alliance church, like you guys are coming together tonight, Alliance, many different denominations. I know it's not just the Alliance church or the Pentecostal church, but many different, but James at a Pentecostal church, Brent at an Alliance church. We began to partner to reach our city with God's love. And we formed this thing called the 403 Network, which is a group of pastors and youth ministries from all across the city of Calgary that came together to have our students unite together on their school campuses to reach people with God's love. It was amazing. It's incredible. Many people came to know Jesus through, we had a few thousand people go through youth alphas in their schools. It was amazing. God moved. The spirit moved. It was awesome. 
But the thing that amazed me so much is that if you went to a service at either my home church, First Assembly, or Brent's home church, Rock Point, well, to say the least, you probably have quite different experiences at either of our churches. And might even think, based upon our style or traditions, we might even believe perhaps different things. But not only that, if you met Brett or myself, met Brett or myself, well, again, you probably have quite different experiences because Brent and I could not be any more different. Personality, strengths, gifting, we are on the opposite sides of the spectrum. But you see, the crazy thing is, is that although I know who I am, love who I am, and thankful for God, how God has wired me, I have always longed to be more of a person like who Brent is. See, Brent, he's one of the most rock-solid, integral, consistent, loving, kind, caring, compassionate, generous people I've ever met in my life. And in general, when I meet people from an alliance church, they oftentimes look, live, and act with a lot of the same characteristics as Brent. And I don't know what you, you alliance churches are feeding your people, but there must be something in the water by the Holy Spirit's ministry that produces a very, very high level of character and integrity, work ethic, and generosity, which if you look at the scripture, sounds much like the church in Thessalonica. Just check out the list in verse 3 that Paul congratulates and honors them on. The first thing is this, works produced by faith. Man, if there's one thing I know about the Alliance crews, they're hard workers. Nose to the grindstone, doing the hard work that all stems from a faith in Christ and his word that they live by and adore. Second thing, your labor prompted by love. Man, Brent, Alliance Church members, Baptist members, all, all of y'all have got to be some of the most loving people on the planet. When I go into Alliance Church, the kindness, the hospitality, the generosity, and the love you have in sending missionaries, raising up leaders, building nonprofits to help the community. Man, in my opinion, the Alliance Church's labor prompted by love is unmatched by many. But then the third thing, your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, the faithfulness, consistency, longevity that is produced in a person who is raised in an Alliance Church, it's in Incredible. And man, I admire it so much. I admire about the Alliance denomination, about Brent, and about many other Alliance churches. It's amazing. But you see, as any good friendship is two ways and has interactions and exchange, on the flip side, Brent or my other Alliance friends, when they observe my life or in general, my church or perhaps, let's say, charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches, what they say is, Matt, James, the joy, the power, the conviction of the Spirit when we walk into your circles, your environment, when the words preach at your church, they say, man, that's the stuff we, being myself, Brent saying this, and the Alliance churches, man, we want more of that. And I'm like, really? Like, one, not all Pentecostal churches are on fire. Two, you, Brent, Matt, I want to be like you. I want to 
I want to get hired in an Alliance church so bad. I tell Brent every day, every time I see him, I say, Brent, when you need an admin, I'm your guy. Call me up. I'll come to your church in a heartbeat. And he's like, well, thanks, James. But to be honest, we want more of what your church has. As it seems, the measure of the Spirit is either poured out in your circles in a different way or perhaps a greater way or more intense way or whatever than necessarily what we experience in our churches. And of course, he's not speaking on behalf of all Alliance churches, but rather the ones he knows and that he's a part of. And I'm like, man, who cares about that stuff? Because all that stuff can come and go in different seasons. As I feel like as a Pentecostal, man, there can be a church wave, like the move of the Spirit that comes in like a good set of waves that the people can surf on. And then the next week it can be dry as ever where it's like, oh, that preacher moved on to another church. So therefore the move of the Spirit went with them. And so when I hear Brent saying, man, we want more of that stuff. I'm like, man, man, you guys got it. You, why? Because you remain consistent and that's the life that I want to live. But then Brent, again, he would say, he's like, and this is not just one literal conversation. This is over seven years of friendship, back and forth dialogue. But he would say, sure, I get it. But James, how do I or we get more of the power as we read in First Thessalonians? Conviction, deep conviction and joy. Like, how do we get what we see in your church circles? And see, it's funny for me to hear that because I was raised in a Pentecostal church. And I'm sure for some people in here, there are stories people tell of the movement of the spirit in the charismatic settings that perhaps maybe you're not as familiar with or maybe you don't have a grid for or maybe just even maybe weird you out a little bit when a Pentecostal comes in the room like, man, they, they speak in tongues. That's a bit weird. Uh, Maybe you've heard the stories of like the shaking, rattling, and rolling or getting snakes to test out the whole Mark 16, 18 verse. You know that verse? Like they'll get bitten by snakes, but they won't be harmed. That used to happen in Pentecostal churches. They're like, get the snakes out. We're testing it. We're, we're going to stand on God's word tonight. Who wants to get bit first? <laughs> I'm serious. The stuff would happen. You know, modesty cloths. Y'all know what those are? Does anybody know what a modesty cloth is? Get slain in the spirit and you're showing some midriff, so they like lay a cloth over you. Come on, Jeremy. I've put modesty cloths over Jeremy all the time. That guy's got to start wearing more modest clothes. You know what I'm saying? Fire tunnels, you know, things and the like, and where your logical mind is like, man, fam, if that's what Brent is saying that he wants, he's like, I'm good. I'm okay. Count me out. And trust me, I, I get that sometimes the movement of the Spirit can be a bit jarring at times. But for me, as funny as it sounds in my life, those crazy encounters, that's just a Wednesday in my church family. The power, the miracles, the movement of the Spirit. See, I, I've been in the room where metal plates and screws from surgery have been dissolved in somebody's body where you can feel it be, disappear. I've been in the room where a cloud of gold dust appears just over there, then over there, then on people, like, it's wild. I, I, I've been in the room where people are thrown across the room by the power of the Spirit. I've been in the room where people are getting slain in the Spirit, like the whole, you know, like Benny Hinn thing. Have you seen that YouTube video? Let the bodies hit the floor. Let, have you seen that one? <laughs> have you seen it? Has anybody seen that YouTube video? Pastor Travis has. Okay. 
Like I've been in the room when that has been happening. That's happened to me. I was at a camp called Alberta Beach, not too far from here. And this pastor guy named Dwayne Gaber, he didn't push me, he didn't do nothing. He just said, be filled with the spirit. And I dropped like a ton of bricks. It's never happened again since then. I've been wanting it, but God said, let's move you on to some different things. That's totally fine. But I've been in the room when that's happened. I've been in the room where broken bones have been healed. I've been in the room where the gifts of the spirit are moving like the prophetic and the word of knowledge to the point where people's birthdays, addresses, names are being called out by a prophet. And it's not some Maury or Jerry Springer so set up like, ha ha, you've been dealing with this. We know. No, no, no. It's the real power of the spirit moving. I've been in the room where the joy of the Lord breaks out and people start laughing uncontrollably. I've been in the room where the conviction of the spirit is so thick, people can barely lift themselves up off the floor because the fear of God, they're hiding under chairs. I've been in the room where that's happened. That's, that's my world that I grew up in. And yet, when I talk with Brent, what I want is like, man, I want what the Alliance Church has being works produced by faith, labor prompted by love and endurance inspired by hope. And why? Because me as a Pentecostal, well, sometimes we have the tendency to burn hot for a year, then burn out, fail morally or go off the rails doctrinally. And if you go and study revival history in the church in the world, most of the Pentecostal charismatic renewals or revivals or whatever you want to call a move of God, most of their leaders either burnt out, failed morally, or went off the rails theologically. And again, that's just a kind of a normal day in my world. I got hired at a church first assembly, and then six months later, the pastor had an affair. And I was like, sweet. This is what I signed up for, God. This is awesome. It's not awesome. Uh, and it's kind of why I'm drawn to Alliance churches because they're so consistent, so biblically based. But yet Brent is saying, he's like, no, 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 we as the Alliance Fellowship, and I know your old superintendent wanted the same thing. He's like, man, we want a Pentecost type move of the spirit in our churches. Now, obviously they don't want the burnout, moral failings or poor doctrine, but the power, the joy and conviction of the spirit that oftentimes can be calmly represented perhaps like the New Testament church in a charismatic setting. See, Brent's like, we want more of that because it doesn't necessarily happen often at his church in the way it perhaps does at a charismatic church. And now I'll, I will say this, in most Pentecostal churches these days, it ain't happening either. So in reality, I'm talking to all fellowships tonight, but historically, to take a, a, a bit of a moment to look at the Pentecostal movement, the Pentecostals and the Charismatics, what they have done, and maybe perhaps why the Spirit moves in a different or unique way in their worlds is because they've intentionally longed for or made a significant focus on the charis, the charismata in Greek, meaning the power, the power gifts given by the Spirit. Because when they hear the whole, you know, line from Jesus saying, signs will follow those who believe. They're like, we're going to test that out. Like the snakes. Or Paul's like, I didn't just come to you with persuasive sweets. Sweets. Persuasive sweets. Persuasive speech. <clears throat> but with power. Charismatics are like, yes, Lord. More, 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 more. And man, if anyone reads the book's of Acts, the book of Acts, and in the New Testament, 
There were some crazy things that happened because for the early church, the gospel that came to their world was not simply preached with words, but with power on a regular basis. And people hungry for the spirit are like, man, we want the same things and more, you know, the greater things that Jesus promised. Like if you, if you ever read your, the book of the Bible, the book of Acts, there's here's just some random examples of some of their meetings. Try Acts 3 verses 1 to 11. You know, Peter and Paul using the famous line, silver and gold, I have none of. But what I do, I give you in the name of Jesus to the lame man, never walked for a long time, 25 years, pick up your mat and walk. I mean, imagine if that happened in some of our meetings. How about Acts 5.15? Records that they were bringing sick people into the street so that when the apostle Peter walked by, people will get healed by the apostle Peter's shadow. Imagine if that happened with Craig. I'm believing for that. Somebody, Craig, come, let me stand in your shadow tonight. I believe for it. Or how about Acts 19, 12, when Paul would send a handkerchief that he had prayed for around and people would touch the handkerchief and get healed. Imagine, hey, let me give you my flannel. God might use it to heal you. Somebody, let me give you the oiler's hat. There's anointing on it. The oil, oh, somebody might heal you. God might use it. Or here's one we all love, Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira, where they lied about how much they gave after they sold their property on two separate occasions. Each of them dropped dead in front of a crowd because of what appears to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. You know, just a casual day in church. But uh, it's crazy. The stories in the Bible of the movement of the power of the Spirit, but not only in the Bible, it's not just happening in this, it has happened in church history as well. The power, joy, and conviction. It would happen regularly throughout church history. Oftentimes in charismatic revivals, th these things would occur. And, and how and why do I know about these things? Well, I love reading about what God has done in the past. And not just with the apostles, but again with normal people like you and I throughout the 2,000 years of church history. And I just got back from a, a church history and revival tour around the UK, which consisted of me going with a couple pastors, visiting a bunch of different areas where God had broke out in revival. And I was praying, God, whatever you did there, do it in me, God. Do it in me as I minister in Canada. Do it in Canada, God. Because there, he would use these people, these humble nobodies, to ignite a fire that would reach tens and hundreds of thousands of people where we went and studied. I don't know if you've heard of people like John and Charles Wesley, the Methodist church, anybody? Okay, a few of us. John Wesley was five foot four and had four, size four shoes. And he would just go around the UK on his horse and preach the gospel. And tens of thousands of people would get saved. Or how about Charles Finney? Anybody heard of Charles Finney? Okay, we got one revivalist in the front, Pastor Craig, somebody. Or how about St. Patrick in Dublin? Anybody? St. Patrick, St. Patrick's Day, come on. You all know who he is. Come on! Or Evan Roberts in Wales. And one thing that we notice is so many of their stories of revival are the same, which is when the Spirit would come to their region in a significant way, what the common theme was, was amongst these town cities and revival sites, was that the power of God, as talked about in 1 Thessalonians, the joy 
from the spirit and the conviction would be sent to a region. Some of the stories would be that we read about, you know, crime would almost be eliminated. Bars would be empty. I know there's a picture up on the screen, I believe, if we can get it up there, of a, oh yeah, okay, you just copied and pasted it. That's totally fine. Thanks, Donovan, my man. But uh, I'll read this picture. It was at the prayer chapel of Evan Roberts, who was the leader of the Welsh Revival. And uh, it says this, the effects of the revival were so great that it touched every strata of society and community life. Arguably, the church has not seen such a powerful display of God since the book of Acts because this revival impacted an entire nation and nations beyond its shores. In the first three months of revival, an estimated 100,000 people were swept into the kingdom of God. The principality of Wales was blanketed with a thick cloud of his glory. Judges were given white gloves to signify that crime was eradicated, which also meant that police stations were empty. Pubs, too, were empty. Likewise, football stadiums were empty because the football players were all in prayer meetings. I mean, just imagine if the Oilers were playing tonight and they were here at Resurgence. That's, that's revival, somebody. I'm believing for it. I mean, keep reading, man. The trains coming into Wales would ring with the praises of God in every compartment as songs of the redeemed were heard everywhere. In the coal mines, hundreds of feet below the surface, tough coal miners would cry out to God. In homes, families would gather to pray and God was everywhere in the nation turned God like, like nothing we have ever seen in modern times. Yes, the nation of Wales was in the throes of a great New Testament revival. And this is just one revival. It's just one example of revival. But man, there are so many other ones, like stories of revival in the States with Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield. Like, here's a crazy one. When they were having a revival in New York City, when a ship would be coming over from the UK and get into a certain proximity of the harbor of New York City, what they would do is they would send a telegram to the shore saying, get chaplains and priests and pastors ready to pray. The sailors have come under such a deep conviction they can't get off the deck. We need you guys to pray. Just within a certain proximity. I don't know about you, but I didn't feel more conviction walking up to, you know, my church last week. I don't know. I don't know. That's not true. I definitely did. You know what I'm saying? Sorry. Sorry. I was about to say. Never mind. But stories of revival, man. Not just there. How about in our very own nation? Has anybody heard of the Toronto Blessing? Okay, a few of us in here. Man, it took place at this church called Toronto Airport Church in 1994 to 96, which birthed other revivals in the UK at Holy Trinity Brompton. The church started Alpha with Nikki Gumbel, or as well as anybody heard of the church called Bethel in Redding, California? Yeah, where their revival started was at the Toronto Blessing. And one of the things that broke out there was the joy of the Lord. And now I get it. Joy in some ways has been thrown shade out when it comes to an experience of joy in a charismatic church. It's going to be sometimes seen as weird or inappropriate. And it doesn't seem like it's taking a moment seriously. And say what you will about it. But joy was given there like it was given in the church in Thessalonica. Listen up. Verse 6, Holy Spirit said, In the midst of severe suffering, the Holy Spirit gave them joy. Joy. And obviously we know that joy is much more than an outward laughter. But oftentimes in revival history, when joy comes, laughter comes. As laughter is good medicine for the soul. And for whatever reason, in charismatic churches, call it weird, but this sometimes tends to happen a decent amount where just people just start laughing. 
It's a, it's a bit crazy, Tyler. I know. It's crazy, bro. But it just starts happening. You know, comedian, no witty preacher, just the joy of the Holy Spirit. And these things tend to happen in churches that are hungry. And is it a bit weird sometimes? Sure. But yet there's still something great about any of the things that I listed off because when the Holy Spirit moves, oftentimes it comes with a great mystery. When I was at Bethel and that, I don't know if you've seen the video, uh, the whole glory cloud, like the gold dust wandering around. It was the wildest thing I've ever seen. And Bill Johnson, he just gets up there really calmly. He's like, sometimes God gives you signs that make you wonder. And just an awe and reverence for the presence of God was in, in that room like nobody's business. I've never been in a room more in awe and reverence of God. And when I tell these stories to my friends and friends at different churches, friends in different denominations, they're like, man, what those things are, we, we're hungry for that. We want that. And when I'm talking to my friends from Alliance Churches, I'm like, man, well, why don't you guys have it or go after it? Why not? And see, at times, I've wondered specifically about their churches across Canada. I've wondered, it's like, man, Alliance Churches are so legit. They are so primed and ready for a revival. They are like the perfect wineskin to steward a revival. They have sound doctrines, solid small group networks, strong family systems. But they maybe perhaps, at least the churches in Calgary aren't necessarily seeing it. Why? I've wondered. And not just Alliance churches, but churches in general across our nation. And in my wondering and in my, my uh, <coughs> conversations with them, I've observed in their church that their gatherings, yeah, it's, it's true. There's a longing and a hunger for things that they haven't seen yet. And I've always wondered why. Why specifically in Alliance churches? Is it not breaking up more often? Because if you read about their founder, A.B. Simpson, has anybody heard of A.B. Simpson? All the Alliance churches said amen. Okay, Pastor Craig, he's still with me. Thank you. A.B. Simpson, he was a revivalist. Man, this dude is what you would call a crazy charismatic. Listen to this description of him. Plagued by illness for much of his life since his childhood, Simpson believed he experienced divine healing after understanding it to be a part of the blessing of abiding in Christ as life and healing. He emphasized healing in his fourfold gospel and usually devoted one meeting a week for teaching and testimony and prayer on these lines. Although such teaching isolated him and the Christian and Ministers Alliance from the mainline churches that are either did not emphasize or outright rejected healing, Simpson was still uncompromising in his beliefs. See, the founder of the Alliance denomination, this dude was praying for miracles every week. He was having revival meetings on the regular basis to see an outpouring of the Spirit. And in founding the Christian and Missionary Alliance, he made this priority in the ministries that he oversaw. So I asked my friends, I'm like, man, why, why, why don't you guys go after that stuff as much anymore? Asking for the power of God to descend and supernatural healings to be poured out. Why not? And in my study to find out which was inspired by many conversations with Alliance pastors, I came across a paper by John A. Bertone in which was explaining a common saying in Alliance churches, which is not just in Alliance churches, this is in many different churches, which maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, but the saying goes, seek not, forbid not. Has anybody heard that? 
Okay, Pastor Craig, my man Craig, he's with me tonight. Has anybody heard that? Seek not, forbid not. So in his opening statement, John, he says this. In 1963, he wrote a paper for the Ambrose University, which is the Alliance University in Calgary. In 1963, the Christian and Missionary Alliance issued an official statement regarding the gift of tongues in response to the charismatic and Pentecostal movements. It was an appeal to Alliance pastors and laity to reject the initial evidence doctrine and to maintain an attitude toward tongue speaking of seek not, forbid not. But the statement, seek not, forbid not, was not to be found anywhere in A.B. Simpson's writings. See, what this paper noted was an official statement from the CNMA on an aspect of their pneumatology, which is the doctrine of the Spirit. And at that time, the Pentecostal movement was drawing a hard line around the gift of tongues, which said, when we go after the Spirit, baptism, the Spirit's work, you know, the one that Jesus promised and prophesied in Matthew 11 and was prophesied about in Joel, which is the fulfillment of the prophecy was in Acts chapter 2. What the Pentecostals believed was like when the Spirit descended in Acts chapter 2, everybody spoke in tongues. So they believed that it meant if the Spirit was baptizing people, tongues had to follow. Everyone must speak in tongues. And the Alliance tribe, long after A.B. was gone, were like, let's not align with the Pentecostals on this doctrine. As one, it's not prescribed anywhere in the New Testament. And two, it, did, uh, it didn't happen every time in the book of Acts when the Spirit baptized people. So they're like, let's just come up with a phrase when it comes to speaking in tongues and going after the Spirit. Seek not, forbid not. Which meant, we're not going after the gift of tongues, but we aren't going to forbid it if it happens. But in reality, what happened, as John A. Baritone describes in his paper, what happened is it went from a novel idea of seek not, forbid not, to in reality becoming inquire not, practice not, when it came to speaking in tongues. And see, what accidentally happened was when the Alliance movement, or any movement, stops pursuing or stopped pursuing the gift of the Spirit, such as speaking in tongues, what accidentally happened at times is they ended up not pursuing the Holy Spirit's work in general. And why did they do this? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. But if I had a guess, it would come down to the reality that the Holy Spirit is unpredictable and definitely not safe. See, the Holy Spirit's not safe. And as humans, we like safety. And when I say, I mean predictable. See, we like predictability. We like things we can count on and rely on to happen every time. So that's why we shape our services around what we can predict and create. You know, three good songs, a good MC, and a solid teaching of the world. We all love it, including Pentecostals. They just do four to five songs, dim the lights, have a fog machine, and their teacher just yells a bit more. See, we, we all love predictability. We all love consistency. And the problem is, is the more I get to know the Holy Spirit, I then realize I know so little about him. As much as, as there is so much more to learn about him. And this is just the reality. When it comes to having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you come to understand that he moves and flows like the wind, like a dove, or like a river which flows through the path of least resistance. 
And when a denomination puts out a statement for the clergy and laity that says, seek not, forbid not, even though it is just referencing the gift of speaking in tongues, that they would not seek it or not forbid it, the Spirit, which again, I'm not, I'm not speaking on the Spirit's behalf in this moment, but simply commentating based upon the nature of the Spirit that I can see in the Bible and the church history, the Spirit in that moment was probably like, okay, y'all don't want the gifts that I have to offer you? Even though I told the Apostle Paul to instruct y'all to eagerly desire the greater gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, y'all don't want what I have to offer you? Well, then it looks like you don't really want me. Because listen, if, if I said to my girlfriend Karina, who's now my wife when we were dating, if I said we were dating, you know, babe, I want a relationship with you. But listen, you know, there's some things about you that, you know, some people love, I will admit, but like hear my heart when I'm saying this, well, it's just, ah, it's just, it's just not my cup of tea. It's not my thing. And if we get married, I'd rather you not do that stuff that I know you love to do and all your gifts, but you know, just, just understand, hear my heart. There's, there's, there's not for me. Karina would have been like, bruh, find somebody else. Y'all don't want all of me, then I'm Gucci fam. Get out my face. Because when you marry someone, you get all of them. And is the Holy Spirit as petty as we are? No. But when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to the Trinity. And as much as I love the Bible, believe it's God's divine word to his people. It's as Bill Johnson says, all of the Bible is God, but not all of God is in the Bible. And when we come to the Spirit, Sometimes certain traditions of Christianity can be like, God, I get. God the Father, I can dig it. Jesus, that's my homeboy. I love him. But the Spirit, man, just a little unpredictable. So, you know, I'm good. So what they end up doing is they, they, they act or talk or live like it's the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Bible, not Holy Spirit. And the Holy Bible, we love it. We love it, and we just sub out the Holy Spirit for the Holy Bible. And then as Francis Chan wrote a book on it, the Holy Spirit becomes the forgotten God as we contend to just ignore him and stick to what we love or know or think is most powerful. And you see, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot and will not be tamed or controlled. He cannot be contained. And he cannot be predicted down to every single move he's going to make. See, the Holy Spirit has a mystery about him, which is probably why some church traditions call it the Holy Ghost, because honestly, he's a bit mysterious. But tonight, friends, here's the challenge that I have for all of us. is just because he's unpredictable and we pray prayers that he's going to do something great and move and it doesn't necessarily happen like we expected or pray a hundred prayers and for the Holy Spirit to move in power, conviction, or joy and he doesn't necessarily do what we want him to do in that moment. It doesn't mean that we should make a doctrine out of it in order to explain why he didn't move because that's what happened. See, oh, Spirit ain't moving like he was with A.B. Simpson or William Seymour at Azusa Street. The gift of tongues isn't happening as frequently anymore. Let's just create a doctrine or a slogan or a saying out of, you know, out of, you know, seek not, forbid not. And what it did was simply take the focus off the Holy Spirit and his gifts, 
Why? So that we don't have to feel bad when he doesn't show up like we expect him to. Because tongues doesn't happen every time we pray for the gift of tongues to come. See, I firmly believe that sound doctrine does not come from our personal experience, but it comes from the Bible. And as far as I know, none of us were alive when the Bible was written to throw our experience in there for the rest of history to read. So whether we like it or not, we must embrace what the Spirit did then as well as what the Spirit wants to do now without an agenda, but with expectation to where we pray the most ancient prayer of the church being come Holy Spirit. And then we sit back and not try to force him to come, but simply allow him to come, expecting him to come. Because as Jesus said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And when we expect him to come, we just allow him to come as he pleases. And if it doesn't look like the way we want, we then say thank you anyways. Because if he chooses to move in a significant or unusual way, unusual way, we sure aren't going to take the credit for it. So why take the blame and make a doctrine that explains things away in our lives? And here's the reality, is me going to these revival sites and longing for something like that, it doesn't mean that every time I pray, I'm like, God, give me what you did there. I'm saying, God, give me something new. God, I want to see new history written. And here's the reality that I've learned in my life with the Holy Spirit is that some of the most powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit were some of the most normal, calm, and peaceful environments in the world. So what I want us to learn tonight is when it comes to the Holy Spirit, why not just say in our hearts and in our lives, okay, Holy Spirit, I trust that you know how to move and when to move. And you know the hearts in this room best. And whether it be that maybe some in here aren't ready for you or maybe they're uncomfortable with you or maybe they just plain old don't want the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, God, Holy Spirit, I trust you to move as you see fit. And here's the thing. is the Holy Spirit, again, he's, he isn't something we can necessarily predict or snap our fingers as he's not a cosmic vending machine. We put our coins in and then he pops out, you know, miracles. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is a person that we can have a relationship with and get to know the character of the Holy Spirit and the way in which he operates being countless ways. But in reality, if we could sum up his ways and narrow it down to three categories, it would be what we saw in this text. The word didn't come to you with just words, but with power from the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction and joy. Because again, if we go and read throughout the scripture, most of the environments, the that the Spirit moved, it would land in one of those three categories. And the question I have for all of us tonight as the band returns to the stage is do we want it? Do we want that? Do we want his power, his conviction, and his joy or whatever he wants to do? Do we want it? Do we genuinely want it? What do we want? What do we want? 
Do we want a relationship with him? Because if we want a pretty little perfect God that we can control, go worship a wooden idol that you carve. If you want a pretty little king of the universe that looks a lot like you, because that's oftentimes how we shape God or the Holy Spirit is we want them to act like us. If you want that, then just go join the secular humans group that humans are the king of their way of life. But if you want a real, raw, supernatural power, conviction, and joy of the Spirit, then if you want that and you're here tonight, you came to the right place. But only if you want it. Only if you want it. And what I'm not trying to get you to think is, oh, the more I want him, the more I'll strive and try and earn him. The more I'll scream and dance and yell, the more I will get him. No, 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 that's, that's, that's not what I'm trying to do as that is not how relationships work. I don't dance, scream, or yell at my wife to get her to do something for me. But rather, I just invite her to be in relationship with me. And it's the same with the Spirit. As we journey with Him day by day, we, all we have to do is simply invite Him to come. To come, Holy Spirit. And the result is the relationship with Him will grow deeper and deeper and the friendship will grow greater and greater. Then what happens is when we're friends with Him, He comes more often. He moves more often. He works in the way that he does through power, conviction, and joy more often. Why? Because when you're his friend, he knows he's welcome in your environment. He's welcome in your midst. So tonight, could we say that? That he's genuinely welcome? Could we say in our lives that we're genuinely like, anytime, Holy Spirit, give me your conviction. I'm ready for it any time. Could we genuinely say that? Could we genuinely say, like the church in Thessalonica, in the midst of severe suffering, anytime, Holy Spirit, give me your joy. Could we genuinely say that? Anytime, Holy Spirit, whatever way you want to move in power, go for it. Even if it's unusual or something I can't explain. Anytime, Holy Spirit. What do we want? What do we want? What do we want? Because I know in my life, I need more of the Holy Spirit. more of his power, more of his joy, more of his conviction, more of his love, more of his movement in my life. I know I need it. And I know the heart of resurgent is to come alongside local churches to see a fire ignited in their people that ignites a fire within the congregation. And is that what we want? Do we want to just do the whole like mediocre Christian thing? Like I know so many times I'm tempted to do. Just be a bum in a seat. Just observe what's happening out there and not participate in it.
so many times I'm tempted just to be like, I'll let Pastor Travis, the hungry one, go after God. And if God moves, I'll just be glad I'm in the room. Versus me contending and saying, no, I want it. I want to move in the Spirit. So many times it's easy just to be in your church and just be like, ha ha, I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm just doing my due diligence. I'm just doing what tradition says. I'm just doing what my parents want. Just sit there like a rock and not go after the presence of God. It's so easy to do that. In any church, in any denomination, charismatic, non, whatever you want, mainline, Lutheran, Baptist, Alliance, whatever. It's so easy. But man, you want to know some of the hungriest people I know? If you go hang out with a Catholic person that loves the Lord, man, I, some of the most charismatic people in the world I know are Catholics that are hungry for the Spirit of God. God's not looking for a mold. God's not looking for a denomination. God's not looking for anything. He's looking for a person that is hungry for the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, whatever you want. So is that what you came for tonight? Or was it just another resurgence? Is that what you came for? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We hope that you were blessed. For more information about resurgence, including how you can take part of this great movement, visit www.liveresurgence.com.